Let us pray. O Lord, you've taught us that without love all our deeds are worth nothing. Send your Holy Spirit and pour into our hearts that most excellent gift of charity, the true bond of peace and of all virtues, without which whoever lives is counted dead before you. Grant this for the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God forever and ever. Amen. A reading from the book of Psalms. Truly God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled, my steps had nearly slipped. For I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. For they have no pangs until death, their bodies are fat and sleek. They are not in trouble as others are, they are not stricken like the rest of mankind. Therefore pride is their necklace, violence covers them as a garment. Their eyes swell out through fatness, their hearts overflow with follies. They scoff and speak with malice. Loftily, they threaten oppression. They set their mouths against the heavens, and their tongue struts through the earth. Therefore, his people turn back to them and find no fault in them. And they say, how can God know? Is there knowledge in the Most High? Behold, these are the wicked, always at ease. They increase in riches. All in vain have I kept my heart clean and washed my hands in innocence. For all the day long I have been stricken and rebuked every morning. If I had said, I will speak thus, I would have betrayed the generation of your children. But when I thought how to understand this, it seemed to me a wearisome task until I went into the sanctuary of God. Then I discerned their end. Truly, you set them in slippery places. You make them fall to ruin. How they are destroyed in a moment, swept away utterly by terrors. Like a dream when one awakes, O Lord, when you rouse yourself, you despise them as phantoms. When my soul was embittered, when I was pricked in heart, I was brutish and ignorant. I was like a beast toward you. Nevertheless, I am continually with you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel, and afterward you will receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire beside you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. For behold, those who are far from you shall perish. You put an end to everyone who is unfaithful to you. But for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the Lord God my refuge, that I may tell of all your works. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. A reading from 1 Corinthians. Brothers, do not be children in your thinking. Be infants in evil, but in your thinking be mature. In the law it is written, by people of strange tongues and by the lips of foreigners will I speak to this people, and even then they will not listen to me, says the Lord. Thus, tongues are a sign not for believers, but for unbelievers, while prophecy is a sign not for unbelievers, but for believers. If, therefore, the whole church comes together and all speak in tongues, and outsiders or unbelievers enter, will they not say that you are out of your minds? But if all, prof- but if all prophesy and an unbeliever or outsider enters, he is convicted by all. 
He is called to account by all. The secrets of his heart are disclosed, and so, falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. The word of the Lord. Of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to Matthew. Glory to you, Lord Christ. And Jesus said, If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. And if he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, there I am among them. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. We give you thanks, Lord Jesus, for your promise that when we two or three of us, gather together in your name, um, that you are here with us. Pray that through the Spirit of God that our eyes would be open, Jesus, to your presence, and that we would be eager um, to learn from you and to grow in you. We ask this in your holy name. Amen. I was reading an article uh, this week about um, uh, shows uh, opening again on um, Broadway, um, and a number of shows open for the first time uh, this week, uh, apparently, including one sort of obscure one about American history called Hamilton um, that I've heard is quite popular. Um, and they uh, interviewed um, Lin-Manuel Miranda, the creator of Hamilton, um, and he said this about the reopening of live performances on Broadway. He said, we go to theater for catharsis. I had to make sure I could say that word right. I had to practice that. For catharsis, literally, that's what we go for, to be in communion with each other, Hear a story told in the dark and experience catharsis. For a while, it wasn't safe to do that, and it's safe to come back now with the protocols we have in place. I thought it was striking that he was saying, coming together um, for a live theater experience is healing. There's relief that comes up. We need it. People need it. And I was struck that he would say this when, I think probably as many of us know, during the pandemic, there was a really well-done, well-made recording of Hamilton that was released and widely watched. And yet he doesn't say, why are people paying money to see this in person? You know, like, get Disney Plus. You can watch it over and over again. Like, why would you come all the way to Broadway to watch this? I think he's saying what many people experience and feel, no, it's different seeing it live. It's different seeing a live concert. It's different seeing these awesome paintings that are up in our gallery in person, right? And seeing them with others and talking about them, right? That's different. That being in person matters. And how much more of that matters for a theater performance or for a concert, which I love, how much more does it matter for coming together to worship God as the people of God, to seek him together, to seek him in the flesh with one another, And we're thinking about um, what it means to live as a member of the kingdom of God. 
And that's our, our theme uh, for this fall and the different aspects in which living out our identity as citizens of the kingdom affects how we live, affects what we do with our bodies, affects what we do with our time, to have a kingdom mentality. And today I want to think about to be members of the kingdom, to be citizens of the kingdom means that we gather. We gather together with fellow believers, with brothers and sisters in Christ. Now, as I say this, I realize that there are perhaps some of you that are watching this online, live stream, or perhaps watching recording, or perhaps listening to recording of the sermon later. And hopefully it's clear that we wouldn't offer those resources if we didn't think there was some value in them, right? And that's something actually we've grown in, I'd say, over the last two years. It's saying, hey, there's more we can do to make sure people that cannot be here in person can be connected with our community. Right? Obviously, for a season, that was everybody uh, of us. Um, that was the only way to be connected. Right? And it continues to be a really good option that we want to continue to offer. But I hope we've been clear. I think we've been clear all along. This is never meant to be a substitute for gathering in person. Right? For a while, it was our only option. Right? Now it's an option, again, that's really important to continue to offer. But we've never said it's the same thing. Right? I love you know, talking to friends and family that are far away over FaceTime, over Zoom, but never do I think, oh, this is just as good as being with them in person. Right? I don't think any of us think that way. And yet again, God has worked in the midst of our disconnection. He has been at work. Last week, our final um, song of uh, the worship service was Build Your Kingdom. And it reminded me as we were singing it together here of the video, um, I hope that many of you saw that uh, uh, Andine, our pastor of worship, put together um, when we weren't able to gather, where she actually recorded or had um, recordings done of various members of the worship team and then melded them all together so we could kind of get a corporate worship experience even though the members of that team couldn't come together at that moment. And I, I will never forget how much watching that video ministered to me in that time where we weren't meeting together. I watched it over and over again, and sometimes I'd start crying when I was watching it. God really used it to encourage me. But part of what was happening and what God used in that was it reminded me of the greatness of gathering together and it filled me full of hope. Right? This time will end. We will be able to gather together in person. So God in his grace, right, he ministers in so many different ways. And I want to acknowledge, again, his grace and how we've actually seen that in new ways, the way God sustains us, the way God builds his kingdom even when we can't meet together. But all the more than I think that's shown a light on how good it is to be together and how God works in that. So I want to think today, again, what is, what, how does God bring healing? What's our catharsis um, that takes place as we gather together in his name? Why is that part of living as a member of the kingdom? I mean, I want to look and walk through Psalm 73 with you, right? And what a story um, this psalm tells. I believe it speaks to us. How does God heal? How does God bring um, transformation and strength through coming together in corporate worship? It begins, if you look at Psalm 73, right? There's an affirmation of faith faith in verse 1. Truly God is good to Israel to those who are pure in heart. Reminds me of Romans 8.28, right? A classic verse to, to memorize, right? God works all things for good, for those who love him and are called according to his purposes. That's where the psalmist begins. I know that God is good to Israel. I know that he is good to those who are called according to his purposes that seek to be pure in heart. And then verse two, but. But, right? I I know this is true, but. I'm sure we've all had moments where he said that. I, I believe this, but. But my feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped. I've struggled with this. I believe it, but I look around and I'm having a hard time believing it, right? Saying both are true. For I was envious of the arrogant, and I saw the prosperity of the wicked. I know that God is good to his people, but I look around and I see those who are rebelling against God, those who have turned away from God, 
And it seems like they're blessed. Right? It seems like they're successful. I mean, it doesn't just seem like it. They are. I can see their success. I can see the way that they are prospering. Right? And you've got to just appreciate the poetic images that he brings out. Right? Their hearts overflow with follies. You get this picture of those who disregard God and disregard his ways, and they're having a great time. They're not suffering any consequences for it. Look at um, verse 5. They are not stricken like the rest of mankind. And then we go down to verse 14 where he speaks of himself and he says, For all day long, I have been stricken. Right? The, the wicked aren't stricken. They're doing great. Meanwhile, I'm seeking to be pure in heart. I'm seeking to follow the Lord. And I'm struck down. I'm discouraged. Right? I'm rebuked every morning. How can this be right? And it's not just the, the goodness, the success that the wicked um, experience. It's actually the influence they have on others. He's looking around and he's saying, look, they're living, again, in rebellion against God. They're doing well. And others are looking at them and they're thinking, well, why should I follow God? Why should I even believe in God if that's what happens to the wicked? Therefore, his people turn back to them and they find no fault in them. They look at the evil and they say, they seem to be doing great. And they say, how can God know? Is there knowledge in the Most High? It's captured well. Verse 12, behold, these are the wicked, always at ease. They increase in riches. Why am I trying to not be like them when they seem to just increase and experience great abundance? So we can experience the struggle and we can see again that it is a struggle. Verse 15, if I had said I would speak thus, I would have betrayed the generation of your children. But when I thought how to understand this, it seemed to me a wearisome task. I can't, I can't teach this to others. I can't tell others, look at the wicked, right? They're doing great. Why would you follow the Lord? I know that's wrong. I don't want to mislead anyone. I don't want to turn away a generation of children from following the Lord. And yet it's hard to believe it's good to follow the Lord. Have you ever been there? You're saying, I'm having a hard time trusting in God, but yet at the same time, you're wanting others to trust in God. And you're saying, I I can't speak this out loud because I don't want to lead anyone else astray, but I myself am having a hard time trusting in him. And maybe for you, the struggle has been similar to the psalmist, right? Maybe it's been, how do the wicked do so well when God says that's not the way it's supposed to be, right? And why is it that those who follow the Lord and commit themselves to the Lord often seem to have more suffering than others? How is this fair? I've talked with many people who have struggled. I take steps to follow the Lord. I take steps of obedience, and it doesn't seem like God's helping me in it. It seems like he's making things more difficult for me at times. I pray to him, Lord, remove this temptation, and it seems to get worse. I've heard those struggles many times. And at the core is, can I trust God? Is he good? Is he even there? Is there even anyone that hears my cries? It's a very real struggle. And again, we hear in it that it's a wearisome task. I'm just worn out, right? I don't even know what to do with these questions anymore. And the verse 17 is a clear transition. Until. You have that but in verse 2, right? But, then 17, until. But something changed. I went into the sanctuary of God. That's interesting. That verse actually could also be translated present text. But then, I go into the sanctuary of God. Right? He's both telling a story He's also saying, this is what I experience. I have these struggles, and then I go. I enter into the sanctuary of God. And there's a change. And before we talk about the change, what does that mean to enter into the sanctuary of God? Well, in one sense, we can read that and we can say, I turned to God. I, I called out to him, all right? I, I looked to his help. And certainly it's capturing that, right? To speak about going into the sanctuary is to speak about coming into the presence of God. 
And so we can say, yes, does that speak to praying to God, to calling out to him, to studying the scriptures? Absolutely. All those things are captured in, I sought out the Lord. But to speak specifically of went into the sanctuary of God, specifically means I came into the assembly. I came into the gathering of God's people. That's what you did when you went into the sanctuary, right? You were with others seeking the Lord together, speaking about corporate worship, about being together. And Jesus speaks to this. Jesus speaks to the importance of of being alone with God. He talks about, I'm in the Sermon on the Mount, right? Get alone um, with your Father who sees in secret. So absolutely, right? It's important to have times where we are just alone with the Lord, experiencing his presence and acknowledging his presence with us through his spirit. But look at our gospel reading today. It begins speaking about confronting a brother who sins against you or a sister who sins against you to go and tell them, to speak to them one-on-one. They don't listen. You bring a few others, right? And you talk about, this was the sin I experienced against me, and you try to work it out. If they still don't listen, you bring it to the church. The church means the assembly, right? That's what it means to be the church. The people of God assemble together, gather together. And so Jesus is saying, when you bring something to the church, there's an authority that the church has. There's a way in which God works through his people, that there's power at work there. And if this person refuses to listen even to the church, he says, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Basically, that was shorthand um, at that time for remove them from the assembly. I talked about last week that until Jesus broke down the dividing wall of hostility, right? Gentiles, non-Jewish people were not welcomed into the worship of the people of God unless they actually converted to Judaism. So he says, let them beat you as a Gentile. He's saying, keep them out, right? Remove them from the fellowship. Tax collectors were notorious for being unrepentant um, in their greed and in their dishonesty. So he's using those terms to say, treat them as someone who's not part of the assembly. So he's saying there is authority that the church has when it gathers together. And actually to be removed from the assembly is to suffer. It is, you're missing out on God's power and God's strength when you're removed from the assembly. That's the punishment, in a sense, right? That's the thing that's supposed to call them to repentance is removing them from coming together with the people of God. We can see the value that Jesus is, is placing on assembling together with the people of God. And so then as he continues and really moves in into speaking about prayer, so when we get to that famous verse, verse 20, for where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. He's not saying, you know, I'm not with you when you're by yourself. But he's saying there is a way in which my presence, my power, my healing power, I believe, is at work when you gather together in my name. Just two or three. Isn't that nice for small churches, right? He didn't say 300, 400. It's like, ah, good, okay, right? That's prayer meetings where three people show up. Hey, Jesus is present here. He's present powerfully here. He's at work in a unique way. And so, yes, we can seek the Lord in all sorts of ways, and we should seek the Lord in all sorts of ways. But Jesus is upholding, my presence is especially made known, is especially powerful when you gather together in my name. And this is what the psalmist experiences. I went to the sanctuary of God and what happened? Then I discerned their end. If you look back at our psalm at verse 17, there was a a turning. My eyes were opened. I saw the truth that I was forgetting, right? That you set actually the wicked in slippery places. You make them fall to ruin. He sees God will judge. God ultimately will call the wicked to accountability. God is a God of justice. And he needed to come together with the people of God for his eyes to be opened. Oh, I'm forgetting. Of course God will judge. And God's timing is different from our timing. 
That's kind of a cliche, but it's really an important truth. That while it may seem like God is waiting forever in my timing, in my perspective, when I step back and see things from an eternal perspective, I can realize, oh, this is just a moment. It's like a dream when one awakes. Right? Dreams can be awful, obviously, when you're having them. And you wake up and you think, why was I so upset? Right? It's just a dream. It's over. But that's what it's like. This will be over soon. God's new creation will come. Right? God will you know, get rid of evil and come against injustice and bring full justice. And so his eyes are open to God's judgment, God's power, God's timing. And we may read that first part and say, okay, well, good. You know, his question's answered. But what about my questions, right? His question's answered, oh, the wicked will be judged. But what about the good that suffer, right? And those who seek the Lord and still suffer terribly. What about the influence that the wicked have? That's great that they'll be judged, but they still seem to be leading people astray in the meantime. What about all the other questions I'm wrestling with? But the psalmist still has a lot of questions that have been answered. Again, there are things that he's wrestling with that clearly he doesn't get an easy answer to. But it's not just that his eyes are open to the fate of the wicked, to those who don't put their trust in God. But his eyes are awakened to his own soul, to his own struggles, and he sees himself. When my soul was embittered, when I was pricked in heart, I was brutish and ignorant. I was like a beast toward you. He sees, oh, God will judge the wicked. And then he sees, oh, my goodness, how was I acting towards God? I was like a beast towards God. I don't believe that's saying don't dare ask questions, right? Don't dare struggle with your faith. For one thing, that's human. I mean, of course, we struggle with our faith. That's part of being a person of faith is that we wrestle with questions. And, and we see that throughout the scriptures. But I think what he's getting at there is I realized I had started to put myself in the place of judge over God. As opposed to, oh, I'm creature, he's creator. He's God, I'm not. I actually, in my struggles, have started to think that I could hold God accountable. <laughs> that I was the one that could accuse God. Now again, we can wrestle with questions. We should wrestle with questions. We should cry out to God with the things, with our doubts. But we do so remembering he's God. And when we start to lose that perspective and we start to think God has to answer to me, we've forgotten something really important, right? That again, we are very limited. God is unlimited. And when we come to worship, we, our eyes are opened. Oh, I'm forgetting. He's God and I'm not. It's a very simple truth that I need the help of one another to remember. I need this place of worship for my eyes to be open to that, to realize there are ways in which I'm acting like a beast toward God. I think of the end of the book of Job. Um, Job, as I'm sure you all know, is you know, the story of this man who suffers terribly he has his friends show up. Um, they keep quiet for, at first, and then they're comforting to him. Then they start talking, and things go bad because um, they start giving him all sorts of advice. But at the end of the book of Job, God shows up right in a whirlwind. And if you're reading it for the first time, you think, oh, good, now God's going to explain to him. Here's what happened. Here's why you suffered. But God actually doesn't explain anything to Job. All he says to Job is basically, can you do this? Can you create animals? Can you create anything? Were you there when I created the world? I mean, God basically just reminds Job, you actually aren't God. And he doesn't punish Job for his questions and for his struggling, but he reminds Job, I'm God. You are very limited. And that's what happens, right, with the psalmist in, in worship. But it's not just that his eyes are open to himself, right, it, but his eyes are opened actually to the mercy of God. He sees the power of God, the hugeness of God, but he also sees the closeness of God, the goodness of God. Nevertheless, I'm continually with you. 
you hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel, and afterwards you receive me to glory. Verse 25, who am I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire beside you. I lost sight of your goodness. I lost sight of your beauty. I came into the sanctuary and I saw again, you've been with me this whole time. Even as I struggled, you were there with me. He calls God in verse 28, I've made the Lord God my refuge. To speak of the Lord as a refuge is to acknowledge there is attacks that we experience. There is resistance and difficulties. We need a refuge. We need a mighty fortress, and God is that. He provides protection. He provides a place of safety. He provides a place of love and comfort. So his eyes are open to the goodness of God. Not just that God is big and he is creator and I'm creature, but God is loving and kind. God is with me. Even my difficulty, he's present with me. Even when I don't experience and know his presence, he is still there. Now, as we consider this, as we consider what the psalmist experiences as he comes together in worship, I want to remind you what I talked about last week, which is the kingdom reality that there is one church, that we actually are one body. And then that's true for this church as a body, Church of the Cross, and that is true for the church, right, throughout the world, that there is one church, And so that means as we gather together corporately in worship, as we come together, we are connected to one another. That's just a kingdom reality. We're one body. And so that means when I come together with worship, when I enter into the sanctuary, I may be coming with very little faith. I may be coming actually just barely holding on. And maybe when we say, you know, the reading of the word, you know, the word of the Lord, thanks be to God. Maybe I'm saying thanks be to God out purely just a step of faith. I'm having a hard time believing it that morning. I'm singing along with the music. I'm thinking, I want to believe this, but I'm not even sure if I do believe this. Maybe I feel very much like the psalmist. It seemed to me a wearisome task. And yet I'm coming into a community where others do have faith. Or maybe where my faith is wavering, others are actually in a good place, a place of strength, a place where they are seeing in new ways the goodness of God, where they are growing. And I can depend on that community. I can sort of come in weakness and know I'm weak, Others are weak. Others maybe are feeling stronger. And that oneness actually makes a difference. It means in those times when I barely have enough faith even to show up, where that's the huge step of faith that I even came to meet in person, I can sort of rest in the faith of the community. I don't know if that makes sense, but it's just a spiritual reality that I don't have to do it alone. And where I'm struggling, others perhaps are strong. And where I'm feeling strong, others perhaps are struggling. And that's why I need to come together in worship. That's why I need a community. And even better, when we share that. Again, I think it's a spiritual reality no matter what. But how rewarding it is, how powerful it is, where we can actually hear from one another and learn from one another. And here, man, this is how I'm seeing God working right now. This is where I'm struggling right now. This is where I'm barely hanging on. And we can build one another up. We can stand with one another. We want that as a church. We had information we shared last week that we want you to continue to be aware of, of various ministries we offer for youth, for children, for adult ministries, right? We want there to be places where we can share what's going on with one another. But the first step is just coming together. The fact is there's no way we can know what's going on with one another unless we show up and we're here together, right? And we find those ways to connect um, and be together. God works in that. We benefit from the strength of others. But it's not just about the community in Christ, the community that knows the Lord, but it's about bearing witness to those who do not yet know the Lord. The psalmist ends and says, that I may tell of all your works. I've made the Lord God my refuge that I may tell of all your works. There is a witness that happens as we worship together corporately. 
It's a witness to the world that does not know the Lord. And that's important. Because when we stopped worshiping corporately for a while, right, when we only had live stream as an option, a big part of that was because we wanted to bear witness to the world. We care about our community, right? We're going to refrain from something that we love that is actually core to who we are as Christians in order to flatten the curve, right? In order right, to lessen the spread of the coronavirus, in order to care for those who work in hospitals in particular, and we're overwhelmed, right? And still are very overwhelmed. And so that was a witness, right? There were a lot of reasons, right? I mean, it's good to care about our own health. But again, a huge part of our decision-making was, what about our communities? What are we sharing? What's the message we're communicating? But even as we did that, we were also very aware when we gather, that's a witness, right? That's why it's been so hard to know what to do, right? Do we gather? Do we not gather? How do we gather? When do we gather? How do we do this? Because it's right to make sacrifices, but we also have to acknowledge gathering is a witness. It's a witness that we spend our time coming together. And it's a witness when we invite others to come into, right? And the biblical expectation, we see this in our First Corinthians reading, is we should long for and we should expect and hope that unbelievers will come into the assembly, that their eyes will be open to the truth of who God is. Now, this is a very confusing passage we were talking about in the prayer time uh, before um, the service. And what is he saying about tongues and prophecy? What's going on here? I'm not going to answer any of those questions. Uh, what I want you to see, though, is in Paul's mind, Paul's expectation is, Unbelievers may show up. You want them to show up. There may be those who do not yet know the Lord who come into your assembly, who come into your gathering. And what should happen when they show up? They should come in and they should say, God is here. The secrets of my heart are revealed. I can experience the presence of God here. This time is not just for us. It's for those who come. Maybe come with spiritual struggles, maybe with doubts, maybe with no knowledge of who the Lord is. That's not just sort of a modern thought of, Make sure you're friendly and welcoming in your service. That's what Paul was saying back in the first century. Expect unbelievers to come in and may they experience God's presence because he is truly present. There was a man who um, came to our church uh, for a season in a very difficult time in his life. And he hadn't been really part of a church for a a long time. And uh, he knew someone here and, again, came um, for a a season and was no longer able to keep attending. But I was talking to him one time about his experience um, coming in here. And he shared with me a story about he's a, he was a mountain climber and a time where he was doing this huge um, climb and actually there was an accident and he ended up getting stuck on a ledge and he was actually um, hurt. I think he broke a bone. And so he couldn't climb back down. And he was stuck on this edge and again, he was way up there. So they, they brought a rescue crew. I think they had to bring a helicopter um, to get him. But he ended up sitting on this edge for a long time and it was getting colder and colder and he was terribly cold and in incredible pain when they finally got him and were able to bring him down off of the mountain. And he talked about being brought into this tent and them covering him with these warm blankets. And he said, man, that experience being covered with warm blankets, it was such a relief. It was so healing. And he said, that's how I felt when I first came into your church. I came in and I just felt like God is here. A loving God who actually knows all the terrible things I've done and loves me and welcomes me into his presence. So that's what worship was like. And again, he was coming in not even sure what he believed and certainly not familiar with our church at all. That's what we pray for. That's what we long for. And we can long for it and pray for it, remembering Jesus' promise. When you gather in my name, I am there. Let's pray for that. Lord Jesus, may our eyes be opened to reality. Lord, in the places where we are living in unreality, where we are struggling to live by faith and not by sight, Lord, may you help us. Help us in all the ways, Lord, um, that you work. But in particular, I pray that 
as we gather together in your name, whether it's here on Sunday morning, whether it's in a life group or a men's group or a women's group and all the ways um, that we gather our youth group, that eyes would be open to your truth, that we would see things from an eternal perspective. And Jesus, that we would know that you are present with us. And Lord, we pray for those we love, for those who we don't know but who are far from you, that their eyes would be open, that they would find a community where they can see that the secrets of their heart are revealed to you and that you love them and long for them to come into a relationship with you. We ask all of this in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.